Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan and with me as always are our two resident Doctor Doolittles, <laughs> Ginny Wu and Andrew Brown. How are you guys? How have your weeks been? Um, good. Can't complain. Playing lots of games as per usual, but less than I would like. I think I'm just kind of saving myself for Bayonetta and the rest of February. So pretty quiet overall. Just what are you suggesting with the Dr. Doolittle comment? I know you've been playing Night in the Woods. You've been talking to the animals. And grunt and squeak and squawk with the animals? Maybe. I haven't played it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you've never seen the Rex Harrison Dr. Doolittle movie either. Moving on. I know of it. (laughs) Where's the conversation going? (laughs) I just thought I'd begin the podcast off with an obscure reference to a musical that nobody saw. I've seen the Eddie Murphy one, kind of. Same. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's who I was thinking about. (laughs) I was like, oh, cool, I'm Eddie Murphy. (sighs) Anyway, so let's talk about updates from last week's episode. Andrew, I believe you had something you wanted to say about One More Jump. Yes, I finally finished Super One More Jump, which last week I described as hard. Which was not, which was an understatement. Uh, every there are ninety six levels in Super One More Jump. They're divided up into eight sets of twelve. The eighth set took me as long to beat, actually longer than all the other sets combined, and most of that was on level ninety five, which took me two thousand three hundred and twenty three deaths to beat. But I finally did it, <laughs> and uh, I have never been more proud of myself for anything I've ever done, which is kind of sad. But I just thought I would update people about that. I don't know whether to congratulate you or commiserate. <laughs> it, it was it was hard. It took a lot of effort, and I wanted to warn people who might be interested in this game that it's going to take some time, because I think that level 95, I probably spent a good eight hours just on it alone. Whoa. Yeah, and this is a level that takes maybe two minutes to do the whole thing. Yeah, it was it was frustrating. Ow. So, uh, me, I've only played Lost Sphere this week. Um, I'm going on the 40-hour mark now. Um, as I predicted, I did figure out the Volco suit system to a point where I managed to smash a boss's third phase in one hit, where it had previously been giving me a lot of trouble, which was nice. Uh, there are really some cool tricks and attacks you can use them for, uh, which is handy, especially for the bosses, because it has some difficulty spikes, despite not being very grindy. They get a little tricky, uh, so there's a little bit of an issue there. Um, I also have a bit more cr- criticism. The uh, the end game has a lot of unnecessary padding, um, mm. which is kind of a, true of a lot of JRPGs, I reckon. But there are just too many like late excursions when the path is like pretty clear. Um, but then it gets a bit worse because I thought I'd beaten it this morning. I beat the big bad, happy-ish ending, credits roll. And then I got suspicious of the way that it asked me if I wanted to save the end save. So I reloaded it after I, after it took me back to the, the splash screen. And yeah, there's more content. An actual proper ending. Uh, and 
like the actual entire end game is hidden after the credits, which a lot of people might miss. Wow. And it's pretty sizable. So I Lame. think I'm Yeah, I think I'm near the actual end now. So I'm hopefully gonna have it done tonight. But yeah, I wasn't too pleased. I was already a bit concerned about the padding and then it was like, Come on, guys. Other than that, I haven't played anything else. I have picked up Night in the Woods, um, which I've got here on my show notes as being the last eShop game I buy uh, until I clear my backlog. Skeptical noise. That's not going to happen. I've already failed. (laughs) (laughs) I bought a game called Mad Carnage this morning because it was a very... Mad Carnage. Okay. It's a very... Very, very impulse purchasable price mm-hmm. point. Um, and it it looks like Mad Max, yeah. but a turn-based strategy game with cars, which, you know, I've been big on turn-based strategy games this last year, and, you know. Well, I guess they got Fair an enough. actual sci-fi novelist to help with the plot to that game, and I was interested in it, but then it came out and I saw it was literally $5.00. So, like, not to disparage games that cost that much, but I I would not expect a $5 game that's a turn-based strategy game with a sci-fi novelist attached to it. That sounds like that should cost more than $5 to me. Yeah, and I can't even remember it saying who the novelist was, but I thought, it's a turn-based strategy game, it's got an interesting concept, I'll give it a go for that price. Uh, haven't had a chance to play it yet, of course, but... Uh, I'm sure I will be able to cover it at some point in the near future. Uh, and Ginny, what about you? What have you been playing? So I've been playing Lost Sphere and cracking into Breath of the Wild where I last left off in Master Mode and Night in the Woods. So I've been splitting my time across those three titles this week. I thought I would get to play a little bit more Celeste and Super One More Jump, but that has not materialized. Although I think I will be treating those platformers as games to chip away at as opposed to games that I want to clock. But for me, the real meat of the week was definitely Night in the Woods. So hoping to talk a little bit more about that very shortly. And I've also been playing more Darkest Dungeon, of course. I expect I'll be playing that for many, many weeks, if not months, to continue. Um, But I do want to mention something about the Crimson Court DLC, which you can get either just as an add-on to the base game or it's included with a bundle that you can buy for Darkest Dungeon. Apparently, this DLC is bugged on the Switch version, and they are working on a patch to fix it, but basically, until they fix this bug, do not activate Crimson Court. Uh, I do, because when you first make your save file you can actually turn on and turn off each piece of dlc individually which is handy uh i do just want to say about the crimson court is actually i would recommend that you don't activate it on your first file at all because unless you're playing on the hardest difficulty which i i can't imagine why anybody would do that the first time they're playing darkest dungeon you can actually take your time in it, and you can take as long as you want to continue on. And if, if your entire party gets wiped out from a bad dungeon run, it's okay, because you can recover from that. You just have to start over from scratch without losing the progress on the town that you've made. Crimson Court really changes that aspect of the game, because it adds a time pressure onto you, where you have to go into the Crimson Court. 
and kill a boss, because if you wait too long to do it, then it just makes the rest of the game much, much harder, to the point where every time you go into another dungeon area, you're basically going to be fighting the vampire enemies and inevitably getting uh, the blood curse on all your characters. So, mm. yeah, the Crimson Court, if you're a big Darkest Dungeon fan, is a great add-on for it, but it's basically a challenge mode. So it's bugged right now, so that way you can't really finish the dungeons because of the way the dungeons work. So like, don't activate it till they fix that bug. And just speaking personally, as someone who's played a lot of Darkest Dungeon, don't activate it at all unless you really know what you're doing. Hmm. Sure. Sound advice. Hmm. Now let's move on to the latest Switch news. It's official. In less than nine months, the Switch has outsold the Wii U hardware sales for its entire lifespan. That is just mad, really, especially considering the initial lukewarm reaction when the Switch was first unveiled. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just so happy to have Nintendo back and just killing it. Never bet against Nintendo. Never, ever do it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that I'm very glad the Switch has outsold the Wii U because otherwise our podcast would start to feel a bit redundant. Um, I don't know. I think there would be something noble about doing a Wii U podcast back in 2012. It's like, we're here. We're doing this. (laughs) For better or worse. Yeah, I mean, I am really happy for Nintendo and I just really hope that the fact that the Switch is now outside the Wii U and hardware will sort of get the last few developers on board with the Switch's longevity and the Switch's success. Um, Because, I mean, the Switch is successful. There's no debating that anymore. Right now, what I want to see is a bigger game library, more development opportunities and stuff like that, which hopefully this statistic will help to float, I suppose. So I guess onwards and upwards from here for the Switch, and I'm... Very keen to see where it goes next. But yeah, I mean, congratulations, Nintendo. Good stuff. Woo! Can I just defend the Wii U just, just for a moment? <laughs> uh, uh, look, sure. you don't need to. I love my Wii U. <laughs> they just, they just, there was, you know, rarely a point, reason to pick it up every single week or every single day. I totally disagree. They've, but they've given, they've given us so much now with the Switch. They have. And okay, a lot a lot of indies and third parties are now yeah. pulling that weight and helping to that. But yeah, like I completely underused my Wii U and that was just because the big games were being drip fed and now they're just being rushed at us. I love the Wii U as concept. I loved it since I tried it at an event. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm much happier with the Switch, I think. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? It's just, I had my Wii U for, I got it when the Mario Kart 8 came out because just financially that was the only way I could manage it. And I just loved it right from the start. And, like, you know, I had a PlayStation 4, and I don't have an Xbox One because I don't want one, just for personal reasons. You can talk to me about that on Twitter if you want, but this is not the place for it. Uh, But just looking at the things that were on PlayStation 4 and things that were on the Wii U, I told myself repeatedly, if I have to choose between the two of these, I'll take the Wii U any day. Because I play the PlayStation 4, they got really good games out on it, uh, but I'd play them once and I'd be done. Whereas the Wii U with games like Hyrule Warriors or Mario Kart or Smash Brothers, I would keep coming back to play them. Uh, I, I got, I feel like I got way more value out of my Wii U than I ever did out of my PlayStation 4. That's a bold claim to make. Yeah, um, wow. But 
yeah, I guess what floats your boat. I'm glad you enjoy the Wii U that much. <laughs> I mean, but it's the age of the Switch now. We have to move on, okay, Andrew? <laughs> People who just got really stuck on the Wii U as a failed console was just my biggest pet peeve. It was like, maybe it wouldn't be a failed console if you would quit saying it was. But this is a Switch podcast, so let's just, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, I've said before that, like, in terms of hits to releases ratio, it's probably right up there because every big game that came out on it was amazing. Yeah. And it didn't have the rest of the stuff bringing it down. So if you look at it on a ratio perspective, it was really good. Yeah, I think the only Nintendo game, the, the only Nintendo published game that came out on Wii U that I would not rate as incredible would be Star Fox Zero. I think that was the only one that disappointed me. Fair enough. I didn't play that one, but uh, so let's 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 move on. Uh, Breath of the Wild is now the second best-selling Zelda game of all time. It has a forty-five percent attach rate to Switch owners, uh, down from a hundred and five percent in March. Uh, so, what are we making of these numbers? Well, as we know from our Game of the Year episode, I consider Breath of the Wild to be the greatest game ever made. So I'm, of course, very happy about this, although actually I find those uh, Switch attach rate numbers way too low. They need to be 30% higher. So (laughs) people who don't own Breath of the Wild, you need to get on this because you're missing out. I'm not kidding. I don't care if you're like, I don't play games like that. I don't like games like that. Play it. I thoroughly believe you will be a convert. Yeah, I don't understand people having a Switch and not having that. Like, surely that's... That's one of the the two that you get at least, right? Mario Odyssey and and Breath of the Wild. Absolutely, yeah. Just give it a go, guys. Yeah, I mean, I did see in those figures that Mario Odyssey had the attach rate that I was expecting Breath of the Wild to actually have itself. So I guess maybe people are just going, you know, Mario Odyssey is more the same Mario formula. Zelda was a bit of a departure. Maybe that's why the uptake has not been as great after Odyssey's release. I mean, like the other two, I would highly recommend it because it was not what I expected when I started playing it. So if you're skeptical, if you're like, oh, I don't like Zelda games or I don't like to have fun, you know, change your tune immediately (laughs) and please pick up Breath of the Wild. Well, some people are like that. They don't like trying new things, okay? New things are scary, but also incredible. Pick up Breath of the Wild. This is a no fun zone. (laughs) Uh, next up, we have the news that Celeste has performed the best on Switch, as we tend to see these days with indie games, I guess. Uh, the creator, Matt Thorson, has said that's what we were expecting, so I guess they're expecting it too. Uh, yeah, so you guys have played this worthy of, of that, do you reckon? Uh, just Or has it just found its perfect format on the Switch? I've only played it on the Switch. So, I mean, I've enjoyed what I've played. So, yeah, I think it works. Um, I think the controllers feel great. They feel very tactile. So, by all accounts, my own personal experience with it has been awesome. I think the Switch is a great platform for it. But if it's good on others, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I think... I, I'm hesitant to say the Switch is the perfect platform for it. Because I don't really see the Switch providing an advantage over it, over any other platform. But... Because I, I have seen some people on Twitter complaining about playing Celeste on the Switch. Obviously, they're playing it handheld because they're complaining about the cross pad on the Joy-Con. Whereas I played it with a Pro Controller, so I had the D-pad, as I described because I broke my hand doing it. But I I don't have a problem with the cross pad, personally. I, I actually I am getting to the point where I prefer it. But 
I think for a game this hard, if you're not able to sit and commit to it, I think could see it being portably would be a big advantage. So I think for people who have that time crunch, I think this might be a better platform for them to play Celeste on, but I don't know that I would say unilaterally that the Switch is the best platform for it, because you could play it on PlayStation 4, you could play it on Steam, and I, I don't see that it would be any different. You know what, just in that thing you said, do you know what blows my mind? Like, I use the analog stick for everything now. I don't, I can't. Like, I, I, I just, <laughs> I, I can't understand people going back to the d-pad even for stuff like this like i can't think of a single game where the d-pads give me an advantage over the analog stick if i'm playing a a side-scrolling platformer i have to use the d-pad and i will i will vocally complain about it if i can't uh wow if i'm navigating a menu i use the d-pad really yep and if that's another thing where i I don't complain about it but i will get irritated if i can't use the d-pad to control a menu in a game uh and if i'm playing a fighting game (laughs) I have to use the D-pad, otherwise I can't input the commands correctly. Like I'll be trying to do back forward, and the game will think, "Oh, you went back left forward. You're gonna." (laughs) So, I I have to use the D-pad when I'm playing pretty much any game that's from a side-scrolling perspective. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've I've noticed this as a trend, so I I realize that I'm probably the freak here, but. Yeah, I've 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 never never looked back since the PS2 era, really. So, yeah, you're not alone in that. I much prefer the analog stick. So, hmm. Okay. Um, moving on. Uh, in new news, the Switch's online service is now coming in September 2018. Uh, announced in a tweet with no new details. Um. Just the previously announced stuff, which is we expect it to be roughly $20 US per year. Uh, and it'll give you some sort of Netflix-style access to some of Nintendo's back catalogue. Uh, no idea if this is still on the cards or still relevant, but that's all the details we have so far. Um, are you guys expecting anything from this? Or is there a, anything on your wish list you'd like for them to provide for this 20 a year? Um, yeah, some solid online matchmaking would be good. You know, matchmaking within the app instead of having to log on to whatever game and figure out who's online, creating lobbies or something via the app. Um, more support for other titles that have multiplayer, not just things like Splatoon or ARMS. Um, I think just if it has decent integration with the other third-party titles out there, in terms of, like, match creation, friendsless management, stuff like that, then yeah, I'm all for it. Even, like, a whole messaging service like oh hey i'm online kind of thing like a way to alert your friends via the app that would be great i don't really care about voice chat functions i i'm glad that they're not there actually so i wouldn't use it personally yeah same yep same. but i think i mean if they're there it's fine but i don't want voice chat to be mandatory as part of online matchmaking so to sum it all up um basically i would like to have online matchmaking um lobby creation functions Friends' management and support for third-party multiplayer titles. That's what I want for twenty bucks a month. I think it's fine to expect that for that price, right? I mean, we kind of pay a little bit less for PS Plus and get a little bit more than that. So I think I've damp- I've dampened my expectations enough. I don't really have any expectations. Uh, like if we get the the Netflix thing, that's probably what I'd use this service the most for. But I wouldn't be disappointed if it wasn't there because. 
a lot of those NES games are old and janky and broken and i think a lot of people would just have a very rude reminder of just how hard these games were and not hard for good reasons just hard because there was a different philosophy of game design back then uh but as far as the dashboard upgrades those things would be nice to see but i would expect those to just be standard not rolled in with the nintendo online program but I, my main takeaway from this announcement is Nintendo lately has been really good about how they use social media to make announcements. This one, I don't think they did a very good job on because they just kind of threw out this tweet that said Nintendo Online comes in September. It'll cost $20 a month. Most people, I think, saw that and said, so the things I'm doing now in September, I'm going to have to start paying for. Because they gave literally no other information about what the program is going to involve, which is why we're having this conversation, speculating about what it could be there in the first place. So I'm, I'm hey, uh, just to cover, I think it's twenty a year, twenty not twenty a month. Excuse me, yeah, twenty a year. That's what I meant. But uh, I'm just surprised that they didn't wait for the Nintendo Direct. I'm surprised we haven't had a real Direct this year. The Mini Direct was just kind of slapped together. You could tell, but. I'm surprised they didn't wait for the Nintendo Direct so they could formally announce this thing and really should go in-depth what this thing is going to be. Because I, I have no expectations. I don't know what to make of it. I, I want to wait and see. Yeah, I reckon we'll get more details in March. I think that's when the next Direct is rumored for. Um, and lastly, Nintendo have also confirmed the news that they were working with Illumination on a Super Mario movie. Um, now... I typically prefer Pixar stuff over the works of Illumination, who I know are responsible for the minions who are universally hated, but maybe as Mario charmed people into coming around on the rabbits, maybe they could do something with Illumination's work. What do you make of this one? Um, I don't want it. <laughs> stay do far want. away from me. Do not want stay- Exactly. Stay far away from me, whatever uh, Demon Spawn iteration of Mario we're going to get. I mean, Illumination is is fine as a studio. I don't have anything against them. The minions are not my favorite creatures. But, I mean, the rabbits are popular. So if someone said, oh, hey, it's a Mario X Minions game, I'd probably still buy it. (laughs) Um, This is obviously... My issue is not here with Illumination doing the animations. I mean, power to them. Big franchise, I'm sure, will be successful and lucrative in some form but i just don't know if it's gonna look like mario i mean they'll have their own style their own license with it i just don't want to look at a mario anything if it isn't the original mario like nintendo's original vision do you know what i mean um that and who would voice it honestly i can't think of anyone i want to do mario's voice i mean charles joke. Okay, as a joke, maybe Danny DeVito. You know, that would be hilarious. No, but he's busy doing would... Detective Pikachu. He can't. Well, well he, he's not. It's Ryan Reynolds is doing Detective Pikachu. No. Yes. Yeah, I wish like, that was the yeah. case, too. <laughs> like, I really like, wish that was the case, too. Like, see, like Andrew, I'm in fervent denial. Okay, I feel like the Ryan Reynolds thing is just like a ploy. It's a setup, it's a red herring. Yeah. Okay, my I'm uncle, holding. <laughs> it's my awful. uncle works just... at Nintendo. And he told me, if you buy the Detective Pikachu amiibo and bring it with you to the theater, it unlocks the alternate Danny DeVito voice track. <laughs> Can you imagine? That wow. would be amazing. But I just think that even though Illumination has done a good job in the past, and they're a great studio, like I said, power to them, 
I just, you know how it's like the whole, you know, you never want to actually meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. I don't ever want to meet Mario outside of a game. Like, I don't want that to happen because I'm sure something will be non-canon or not right or not sit right with me. And I don't want to have to go through that pain. I want Mario to be worshipped from afar, like the idol that he is. And I just don't want him to be made more real or more accessible. I don't want it. It's just, it's just too confronting. I guess what I'm hoping for is that it's either going to be really good or like the previous Super Mario movie that it's going to be so bad that it's literally amazing and faultless. The original Mario movie, if you forget that it's supposed to be a Mario Brothers movie, it's actually a really funny cyberpunk movie. <laughs> Especially when when watched in the days of Donald Trump, right? We don't talk about like... that on this podcast. <laughs> Sad air horn noise, just... <laughs> yeah anyway so let's drop that and we'll just move on to the new releases <laughs> night in the woods night in the yes. woods night okay. in the woods sorry okay really let's get the that. crowd that's chanting we'll... night in that's the how... woods that's how night we'll play out the in the woods <laughs> anyway night in the woods <laughs> i'm gonna mute you if i knew how <laughs> um, now, uh, so we're going to do a slightly different format this time, which we kind of stumbled upon by accident last time because we forgot to announce a bunch of releases. We're sort of going to just focus on the things that we've played, the things we've had experience with maybe on other formats, or just the stuff that we're super interested in. Uh, so we're going to start off with Night in the Woods, as you may have guessed. Uh, as I said earlier, I've picked it up. I believe Andrew's currently streaming it if you want to check out his Play Critically stream. So uh, hit me with your impressions, Andrew. Uh, this game was kind of made for me, I feel like, uh, or <laughs> made for people with my age and my political viewpoint. Because it's about a young woman named May who is actually an anthropomorphized cat, but the fact that the things in this game, at least as far as I progress, the fact that they're animals doesn't actually mean anything. It's just the way the characters were made. Uh, she goes back to her hometown after dropping out of college and it's obvious that she's a very immature person because all the people in her town all of her friends who did not get to go to college they're off living their lives now working in dead-end jobs uh trying to get by living in really bad apartments and she just she just doesn't get it i haven't finished it yet but basically everything the game has been so far is may who lives in like this constant state of arrested development right now trying to come to terms with what's happened to her friends and not understanding that she can't just leave college and i haven't found out why she dropped out yet but i'm I'm sure there's going to be some devastating reason that she doesn't want to go back there and just trying to go back like and living like she's still in high school and it's I'm concerned that some people might buy this game or might even buy it for their kids thinking they're seeing the talking animals and being like, oh, this would be like a Disney game or something. It's not. This is a dark game. There's depression and grief. Uh, We find out that May's father used to be an alcoholic and he had to quit because he was actually a danger to his family. Uh, it's, It's a dark game. It tackles some heavy issues. So... I think I'm 
I'm loving it. I think it's great. Uh, this came out last year, last February, I think, in 2017, and uh, lots and lots and lots has already been written and talked about this game, so there's really nothing new I could say about it at this point. But if you've heard about this game, uh, I can confirm for you now, everything you've heard about it is true. That sounds very ominous, yeah. but Andrew is correct. Um, I have played this game already once before on the PC, so full disclosure, I went into this knowing the story already, um, and it's not any less good the second time around, even once you've figured out all the twists and the turns and you've played through them, it's still just as compelling, if not more so, because you kind of have an, a layer of awareness when it comes to everyone's actions, like you kind of feel like you hate May less and you sympathize more with her, but also, I mean... I agree with what Andrew was saying. So when I first played it, I hated May as a character. Um, and I just couldn't understand her motivations for it. I knew that I was meant to be sympathetic towards her. But it's just her childish behavior was so frustrating. Um, and I think because I kind of saw a little bit of herself in me. Like, I mean, I wish I could have just quit college and just come gone back home and just sort of... At a time when my life didn't feel so great, had that safety net. So... I probably related to May a little bit more, maybe, than Andrew did. I don't know. But I had that weird connection with her that made her both, like, a love-hate kind of character for me. But I think what Night in the Woods does best is, as I was mentioning before, even after I knew the plot and I had finished the game, the second playthrough just kind of felt actually a little bit more impactful than the first one. And it's just that ability to tell a story in a way that um, contextualizes an experience for you that you might not have experienced yourself. So obviously, like I said, I'm not a college dropout. My dad probably wasn't an alcoholic. My friends probably have all gone to university. But I was so immersed. And it's just the pacing of Night in the Woods and the way that you interact with other characters and the way that it's basically a bunch of intertwining destinies that make up the real storytelling as opposed to um, I don't know, like a weird sense of having to be a hero or like the chosen one that most narrative-based games can throw on you, whether it's like puzzle solving or like, you know, like, oh, I'm the top detective. May's just a flawed human. Well, a flawed cat. Um, a flawed anthropomorphic <laughs> cat. And she's a flawed person. She's a flawed person, yeah. And the game does a great job in humanizing her by making her at terms both loathsome and empathetic and relatable. And I just think it's... A masterpiece of a game everything good that you've heard about it is true um if you haven't played it or if you're turned off narrative games because you may have played Oxenfree and found the pacing there to not be very great um i would say give night in the woods a chance um it definitely has a much more specific setting and story um to it but don't let that put you off don't see the animals and think oh this is for kids as andrew said it's not a disney game it is very mature um, very dark as well, but I think it's well worth it. I, I haven't read the comics. I've only seen the movie, but I was comparing it to Scott Pilgrim. Have Would you say that's a fair comparison? Um, I think if you're looking at... Yeah, no, no, that's right. I think if you've watched the movie Scott Pilgrim, that will be a good base, I guess, for you to kind of place... Um, place the central concerns of where May is at. Like, you're thinking that's kind of age, the kind of era, I'd say it's right, the kind of small-town hokey vibe. I'd say it's correct. Yeah, that's a pretty good estimation, actually. 
I was just because there's actually Guitar Hero style mini games in this where you play bass guitar in a band oh, with May's yeah. friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I was like, this is Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> so that was what kind of put it in my mind. But it's not as wacky as the Scott Pilgrim movie is, but as far as the issues it tackles and yeah. kind of the uh, the activities, I guess you could say, of what the characters are doing, it reminds me a lot of Scott, Scott Pilgrim. Just without the evil exes, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> I just want to mention something about the setting, too, because like, this is set in small-town America, United States. I, I don't know what this issue is like in other countries economically, but like this town used to be a mining town, but the, the mining company closed down. But all the families are still living there. And they don't really have anything to live off of. And the the families are just, just living there. The parents have been forced into, like, dead-end jobs at grocery stores. Uh, and the kids can just find whatever work they can if they can find work at all. And this is a big problem in the United States. It was a big problem in the 2016 election. That That's as far as I'm going to say about that issue. But uh, the setting feels very true. And I think that's something that hasn't been talked about enough and not portrayed enough in our media. I think Night in the Woods is actually going to be hopefully remembered well for being one of the first things that really tackles this pretty serious issue that's going on economically in the U.S. right now. Interesting. Yeah. Like, there's one scene that I just did today where May and her friend B they actually go to a shopping mall. And this has happened all across the Midwest, is these communities have built malls to try to boost the local economies, but they're, they can't draw enough interest in these malls to sustain them. So they have these big expensive buildings with these huge parking lots and there's nothing in them. And there's actually uh, on YouTube, there's a guy named Dan Bell. He did a great series called the dead mall series where he actually goes and he explores these malls. I really recommend you look at this because it's a fascinating series and it will really help you understand the areas that night in the woods is set in. Uh, so moving on, we've got uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Uh, I haven't bothered with this because I haven't done with Quest of Dungeons yet, and I understand they're a little similar. Is that fair? They are very similar. Actually, when I first started playing this, as soon as I saw the dungeons for the first time, I was like, this is like Quest of Dungeons with better animation and higher resolution graphics. But the big twist of it is, is it's a rhythm game where every action you perform has to be done in time to the pulse of this electronic dance music. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't know that. It, I didn't know that. Uh, you should watch the first hour of video I put up, Andy, because I think you would actually really get a kick out of this game. Like, uh, It's not like in Quest of Dungeons, where when you enter a room, every monster in the room becomes hostile, and you have to decide what order to take things in. Because uh, the monsters actually, when you encounter them, they actually literally do dance. Each one has a pattern that it follows on the floor. And so the game becomes not prioritizing which monster is the most dangerous so you have to kill them in the right order it's more working out what pattern you need to take through the room to destroy each monster without getting hit yourself by like basically interfering with their dance steps and you got to do all of this while staying in time to the music otherwise you lose your score multiplier and uh if you lose your score multiplier you're not gonna be able to buy the high-end items you need just to compete in the lower levels of the dungeon Okay, that sounds really interesting. I might check that out. Yeah, it's it's a. I have way too many roguelike games on my Switch right now. Uh, 
and they all demand my attention equally. I think Darkest Dungeon is going to remain my priority, but Crypt of the Necrodancer is fascinating. I'm very happy I bought it. I'm sure I'll spend a lot of time with it at some point. Uh, and the last one we've got on the list here is the first Steamworld dig, which got released, um, and it proved Andrew to be somewhat clairvoyant, as he guessed at the price point in last week's episode of $10 US. Uh, it's $15 here. As I only just beat it recently on 3DS, I picked it up for 7 bucks on there just before Dig 2 came out. I'm probably not going to bother unless it goes on sale and then I, I might double dip. Um, have you played any of it yet, Andrew? I haven't. I just put it on the list so we could talk about it because I knew a bunch of us had played it. But uh, I just played it through on Wii U back in October, November, whenever it was Dig 2 came out. Uh, so like you, I'm going to wait for it to be on sale before I get it on Switch. But I liked it enough. I'm definitely going to buy it. Yeah, I, I totally recommend it to people who haven't played it yet. Um, if you're planning on playing Dig 2, maybe get this one out of the way first, because I think Dig 2 expands on everything in such a positive way that it might be tough to go back <laughs> Yeah, to Dig 1. Um, but yeah, other than that, yeah, it's really good. It scratches like a nice mixture between like sort of Minecrafting, hunting for for elements and platforming and yeah it's really cool worth a go it's not that not that long i think it's worth a look for anyone looking for that sort of experience regardless you should play dig 2 because it's great (laughs) yeah dig 2 gives you much more of a world to explore dig 1 like you literally you start at the town at the top of the map and you dig your way down to the bottom of the map straight down there's really not much to explore so it's more about the path you choose to take on the way down and all the things you discover along the way which are preset so uh i think if you're the kind of person who needs something to explore you're going to be disappointed in dig one especially in comparison to dig two but if you're just looking for something it's just pure mechanics or even just something to fill time because it's not that expensive a game dig one you could do a lot worse than um i haven't played either one um as you all know if you've been listening in to the podcast for a while not quite sure if this is my thing i mean it sounds interesting but I don't think mechanically it's the kind of game that I would really go for. But I'm I glad that you, you guys enjoy surprised. it. Really? You think I th- so? I think I think you'd be surprised, I, especially if you went for two first. But okay. Is two just one but leveled up? Like two two is one but better kind of thing? Yeah. But if you if you don't want to spend the money on two, one's a good starting point just to get into the swing of it. Right. Um, I right. hate I hated it the first time <laughs> round, but I was really glad I gave it a second go. So yeah, I, I think you'd be surprised. I think you would like it, and I think you'd find it pretty charming. Okay. All right. It's kind of like Dig Dug or Mr. Driller, but instead of Ooh, uh, an arcade yeah. puzzle game, it's more of an adventure game. It, it's got a really neat gameplay loop where you're. You're digging to get somewhere for a mission, but along the way you're also getting materials to improve your gear and get new abilities. And it's just really... And it it completely changes the way you traverse everything as well. Constantly just getting something new that goes, oh, hey, cool, I didn't know I could do this. Mm. So yeah, I think you'd be surprised. Yeah, and if you you love getting all the sparkly things on a map, you'll find it very engrossing. Ooh, I do like getting sparkly things on a map. (laughs) <laughs> I might go no, for no. the first one though just because of the price point if I do pick it up like you said as an entry point that probably where I start would be with the first one well, I think that's a good plan and you would probably have it done in a weekend it's it's oh, quite sweet. short if you yeah yeah I think it's about a five hour game you could probably even do it in two if you knew what you were doing but mm. uh, definitely think of one as 
an entry point for two. If you like number one, you're going to love number two. Sweet. Yeah, I agree with that. So, guys, what are you playing in the coming week? I'm going to want to finish Lost Sphere um, and get to the end game that you just complained about briefly <laughs> earlier on the episode. Because I do want to see what that feels like. Um, yeah, I want to kind of bang through that. Um, I don't know about Clock Night in the Woods for a second time urgently this week. Um, but yeah, maybe Steam will dig if I'm so inclined. I just kind of want to have a chill time before Bayonetta comes out. So I'm guessing I could try and clock some of the games that are on my backlog currently. That would be a nice place to start. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to finish Night in the Woods, although unless Andy has played it by next week, may not talk about it on the podcast. And then on Tuesday, we've got Dendara coming out, which is, I guess, from what I've heard, a Metroidvania game, which is about a Brazilian woman who has become like this legendary warrior. And they built this whole game around her. So that could be pretty cool, I think. Uh, and then Friday, Dragon Quest Builders comes out, and you know I've been flogging that flag for a long time. <laughs> I do want to say that I am streaming games again. You can watch me play probably all the Switch games I talk about on this podcast on twitch.tv slash playcritically, and all of my live streams are archived on my YouTube channel, which is playcritically. Cool. Check that out. Uh, I'm going to hopefully finish Lost Fear tonight unless it pulls another fake ending on me no um and then i'm planning on getting in battle chef brigade yeah i would really like to get that out of the way before bayonetta hits next week um and then i'm probably gonna sort of just mill around on on rayman until bayonetta launches i think i think that's gonna be my coming week so yeah Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks! Well, if you want to, you can follow us individually on Twitter. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. I am at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes.
Oh, my mic just fell in my face. 